Good morning. It's good to see this number here for Bible study. Brother Tim finished up John chapter 8 last week, and as usual, he did a great job. So I'm going to pick up then with John chapter 9. John chapter 9. And this, basically this whole chapter deals with uh, Jesus healing the blind man. So um, let's just read through it real quick and, and get a general synopsis of the entire event. And, and then we'll go from there and start looking at each verse. Alright, starting at verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes open? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus may clay and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. 
These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, He is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I do know, whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, As for this fellow, we, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am coming to this world, that they which see not might see and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If you were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Okay, verse 1. Uh, Jesus passed by. He saw a man which was blind from his birth. So we don't exactly know if this is, you know, immediately following chapter 8, all those events that as he was leaving, or if this occurred several days, several weeks, a month after chapter 8. But all we do know is that Jesus passed a, uh, and saw a man which was blind from his birth. Uh, obviously this man was a beggar because he had no other means of making a living because of this disability of having no sight. Um, He was a well-known figure and many were acquainted with him and were aware of his blindness because they would see him uh, and most likely they would, you know, possibly donate money or, or whatever to help him. Uh, so they, they knew of him, were acquainted with him, and knew that he was blind and blind from birth. There are six miracles associated with blindness uh, that's discussed in the, in the <clears throat> Gospels, uh, but only one, this one that we're discussing now, 
only one of those was the person blind from birth. And it's amazing uh, with all the technology that we have today, uh, especially medical technology, that there is still no cure for blindness for those who were born blind. And uh, many, such as Brother Jerry Hall and others, have macular degeneration where your eyesight uh, declines um, over time as you grow older. Uh, it degenerates. Uh, my stepdad, he has lost his sight. So it's a terrible thing for a person uh, to not have sight. And, you know, and it's, to me, it would almost be worse to lose your sight after having it than, you know, this man who was born blind, you know, that's all he's ever known. So, but from what I understand, a person who is blind, especially one who was born blind such as this man, his senses, just like anything else, you know, if, if you can't hear, if you can't see, if you have some type of disability like that, it heightens other senses that you have. And so he was able to get around and learn either by counting steps or other means, uh, he could get around. And obviously, uh, through the sounds of people's voices, he could differentiate between different people. Um, <clears throat> verse 2, And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So, this opens up a sort of Pandora's box, if you really want to get into this verse. So they're saying that this man was born with sin. Or either that his parents had sinned, and this is punishment for their sin. Who has heard of the uh, doctrine or the term original sin? Larry, do you know what I'm talking about? What is original sin? Anybody? Adam's sin. So these, uh, and there are several religions, denominations, whatever, that teach and believe in sort of some version of this. They're all a little bit different, not all completely the same, but it all boils down to we are born into sin because we inherit Adam's sin. And it's also... Uh, referred to as uh, ancestral sin or original sin. So, uh, let's see, the Catholics, Lutherans, Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Church of England, Methodist, Seventh-day Adventist, the Mormons, and Jehovah's Witness, and probably several others. Do y'all know of any others that believe in some form of this? Uh, so, um, Calvinism. Calvinism. So they think that this man was 
born blind because of this ancestral sin. Somebody tell me or point out why this is wrong. Ezekiel 18, we do not inherit the father's sin. Okay. Exactly. Why why just certain people? Or why just this man? If everybody inherited the sins of Adam. Uh, oh, and going back to the original sins, that's one reason why some of these denominations baptize children, babies, they christen them, is uh, to wash away that original sin. Um, so Jesus answered him by saying, uh, the man himself had not sinned. He's not saying they're not sinners. And that they do not sin because we all sin. We all are sinners, uh, nor his parents. But it's just, you know, the works of God. It rains on the just and the unjust. We've had several discussions with David uh, during Wednesday night lessons on basically why bad things happen to good people, right? To me, this falls into that category. You know, um, God does not discern what happens, basically. I mean, there are consequences of sin. We can all attest to that. Let's say his parents, um, which I guess would relate more today, let's say uh, his mother... um, was a drug addict, uh, smoked, drank a lot, alcoholic, or just did something that could have effect on that fetus while it was in the womb and the child was born with a disability. So that would be a consequence, but that would not be, say, a punishment for that sin. Does that make sense? Okay. Okay. any qu- questions or comments on that before we move on? Uh, uh, Jesus said it best in Luke 13 when he asked them if the people in the powers alone, 13 men in the powers alone that fell on them, were they more sinners than anybody else? He's not saying that it's because these men were sinners. Exactly. And there's a lot of, and it all, when you talk about original sins, it, it gets into kind of a philosophical debate on free will. Does it not? Um, a, you know, and a person's ability to make their own decisions as far as their conscience goes and as well as their knowledge, knowledge of the scripture, knowledge of what's wrong and right. So, 
Go ahead. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. Okay. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So this is, you know, pretty much self-explanatory. Um, day, uh, the reference of day or daylight is referring to our lives while we are living. And night is referring to our death. Uh, so, you know, basically what that's saying is while we are alive and well and have the ability to teach and spread the gospel and to learn and worship God, that is what we're to do with our lives. Because the night cometh, in other words, our death, our death is inevitable, it cometh when no man can work. Verse 6, <clears throat> when he had thus spoken, we'll read verse 6 and 7. Uh, when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. So this here is uh, the actual miracle itself occurring. Uh, Jesus uh, spat on the ground, uh, mixed that spittle with the clay, the dirt, and made clay and then wiped it on his eyes. He then told him to go wash the, the clay from his eyes in the uh, pool of Siloam. So, was it the clay? Was it the water in the pool? Was that, is that what, is that where the miracle occurred? Is that what made him see again? Or was it just the fact that he followed Christ's instructions? Obedience. Hear, believe, repent, confess, and be baptized. All five of those in that order. We can't do one or two, skip one and two, go right to three and four or five. We have to do them all in that order. And it's not the water that does it. It's the faith and belief in what he commanded and our obedience. So that's what's happening here. He told him to, uh, he took the clay, wiped it on his eyes, and told him to specifically wash in the pool of Siloam. What if he'd have went to a, you know, it's the whole uh, Jordan River thing again, is it not? Uh, in that day and age, uh, people believed that spittle or saliva had medicinal purposes I still do you know I get a 
cut, start bleeding, what do I do? I wipe it off. No, I'm just kidding. I don't think it does anything, but at that day and age, uh, a lot of people believed that saliva did have uh, a medicinal value. Uh, the pool of Siloam itself was located uh, near the southeast corner of the old city of Jerusalem, uh, south of the temple area. Uh, my understanding, it, you know, I don't have any information on the actual size of the pool, and there was actually two pools. There was uh, an upper and lower at, over time because, what, Jerusalem has been destroyed, what, twice? So you had the original when the, uh, Jerusalem was, and the temple was first constructed, and then you had the, the second one, that the Pool of Siloam was rebuilt with the rebuilding of Jerusalem the second time as well. So, That is Bethsaida, right? Bethsaida. Um, But I'm not sure, completely sure, if the Pool of Siloam was used as, like I said, I don't know the size of it, so I'm not sure if it was used strictly as like bathing purposes or as a water source, like a reservoir uh, for the area. But the... uh, and I'm not sure what it says in other versions, or, uh, but in the King James it says, by interpretation, sent. So, Siloam translated means sent. So they got that word, sent, which means uh, the water that filled the pool was sent from higher sources, higher areas. Um, and so the higher area is Gihon Springs. That's where the water came from, and it was transported from Gihon Springs to, to the uh, Pool of Siloam by two aqueducts. Everybody familiar with aqueducts? You know, kind of like man-made ditches or troughs that would, you know, you can have a levee system or dam system with gates to allow water to to fill when the pool gets empty. So that's basically what the word means. It means scent, and the water that filled the pool came from Gihon Springs by means of aqueducts. Sure. Meaning one scent refers to the Messiah, who was the one sent from God. Therefore, the word Shiloh. In Genesis 49.10, which is the name that Jacob gave the Messiah, appears to be the original form of the name Shalom. This scripture has this name in three forms, Shalom and Shalom and the other one. All these are laden with immersed weight of symbolism pointing to the Savior of the world. Okay. One sin. And this is also where they got that poop of that pitcher of water poured out in the uh, feast, the 
Okay. And I, I think I read somewhere that the water from Gihon Springs or that filled this pool was also the same water source as the well from the woman at the well. But I might be getting that wrong. I'm not sure. All right, verses 8 and 9. The neighbors therefore and they which before had seen him that was blind said, Is this not he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. So to paraphrase, his neighbors and acquaintances, they saw him. And uh, saw the man that was blind from birth. And they're like, is this him? I mean, he can see. Is this really him? And some of them said, yeah, this is the guy. This is the same guy that couldn't see. So always been blind. Now he can see. But there were some that were like, nah, this isn't him. It's just someone that looks, looks a lot like him. It's not him. Can't be. That man was blind. This guy can see. And then he spoke and said, guys, it's me. Look, it's me. I can see. Um, <clears throat> interesting. Um, let's look here. Let me find it. All right, the the word saw. Does anybody have a version that says uh, they saw or seen anything other than those two? They saw or seen him? Any other word? Because there's not an English word to translate that original Greek word. That's why I'm asking. The original Greek word for that verb saw or seen is theu riu, theu riu, which actually means to scrutinize um, minutely or to look at intently. In other words, it's not like they just glanced at him and saw him. They inspected him thoroughly. They looked at him from head to toe. They walked around him, if you will. I mean, they were... They were physically looking at everything to make sure this was the guy. Because, you know, he was blind. And for some reason, he can now see. Verse 10, Therefore they said unto him, How were thine eyes opened? Okay, so now they're convinced this is the guy. This is him. So now they want to know what happened. How come you can now see? You were blind from birth. Verse 11, He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received my sight. Verse 12, Then they said, Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. I don't know where he went. You got to remember when he put the, the clay on his eyes, he told him to go wash. So then Jesus left, 
made his way forever. So, you know, he didn't stay to watch or say, you know, it's me, I'm the one who did this. Jesus went away wherever, and the man, he went and cleansed his eyes in the pool uh, when he could see. Um, so he told them that he did not know where he was. Verse 13, we're starting to get into trouble now. It's where the trouble all starts. So they brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. So they took this guy who had been blind from birth, who could now see because of Jesus' miracle. They took him to the Pharisees. Why the Pharisees? Why did they take him to the Pharisees? Who were the Pharisees? Why the Pharisees? Remember the last time I taught, I went over the Pharisees, Sadducees. Pharisees or and the Sadducees, they're they're sects or different groups of people. Uh, the Sadducees mainly believe in the written Torah or the written law that was passed down over time from Moses, and the Pharisees believe in both the written Torah and the oral Torah, which is the both the written and the verbal, those stories and those laws that were spoken and then written down. The Sanhedrin court was composed of both Pharisees, Sadducees, and a couple other groups of Jews. And the main high chief justices, if you want to call them, they were the they were um, uh, Sadducees. So think of it like this: the Pharisees controlled the lower courts, like. Um, you know, our district courts. We have district judges, appeal courts, that type thing. And then you had the Sanhedrin Council, Sanhedrin Court, whatever you want to call it, was the Supreme Court. Okay? So they obviously thought something as illegal had happened. So they brought him to the, you know, first order, first court, which was the Pharisees. And they were going to kind of hash all this out and see what happened. So that's why they brought him to the Pharisees. Because it happened on a Sabbath. It happened on a Sabbath. And we're fixing to get into that the next verse. So, verse 14. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. So there we have it. That's the reason they took him to the Pharisees. It's because they thought that him performing this miracle was in violation of the Sabbath day law, which um, I'm not trying to get too in-depth here, but I think it's good to know. It was called the Jerusalem Gemara. This is part of the uh, Torah, which I spoke of, which lays out all the rules and regulations. Everything that was illegal to do on the Sabbath, they had it written down. It was called the Gemara, Jerusalem Gemara. It was written down for them to say, look, here it is right here. Kind of like 
our laws, our code of federal regulations. They can, you can look, say, CFR, code, whatever, section, paragraph, sentence, whatever. In, our, in today's society, the same thing happened here. They could look in there and say, look, you can't do this on the Sabbath. And guess what was actually written, actually in words, in the Gemara? It said that uh, wine could be proper, properly applied to an infected or affected eyelid on the Sabbath. Okay? So obviously they used wine as a type of anesthetic anesthetic, you know, so if you had an eyelid, uh, something was wrong with it, you were allowed to put wine on it. That was allowed by law. Not God's law, but Jewish law. You were allowed to do that. However, it said it's strictly forbidden to apply saliva to the eye since this would be an attempt to treat it. Okay? So that's so now they got this law, they've got it in writing that cry, and they're saying that this is what happened. So um, and anyway, the this uh, what I refer to as the Gemara, which is part of the Torah, and it contained written discussions of generations of different rabbis. So they would take this case, if you will, of Jesus healing the blind man with spittle and clay, and it would have been recorded, and it would have been passed down through the generations after Christ was gone, after all these people were gone, for future Jews to refer to. Kind of like our Supreme Court, you can look up Roe versus Wade. We can go back and study that to learn what happened, what the decision was, and how they come to that decision. Well, they can do the same thing. So we know that Jesus didn't just speak it and we know. Right. So he specifically made this case. Right. And, you know. The last time I taught, when he healed the lame man and told him to pick up his pallet, when did he do that? That was on the Sabbath. So we're seeing a trend here. He's, you know, he's using these, you know, and like I told you then, if he'd have done it on any other day of the week, nothing would have been said, right? You ever heard the saying that uh, there's no such thing as bad publicity? That's kind of the same thing. I mean, yeah, it, it's, he, they're saying he's wrong and that he violated the law, but look, look at all the attention he's bringing you know, to himself and what he did. It may be bad publicity, but there's people, they're talking. And as we see, there, there's starting to be some divisions within the Pharisees as to what's actually going on here. <clears throat> All right.
Verse 15, Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon my eyes, and I washed and do see. Okay, so there, there we go. We got, you know, they found out what Jesus did to make this man see. It's interesting to note here that the man that was healed, he did not mention spittle or the formation of the clay because he already had um, a clue, I guess you could say. He, he knew what was going on here. He knew why he was brought before the Pharisees. So he, from the get-go, he did not want to incriminate Christ. So he just said, he put some clay on my eyes and told me to go wash in the pool. He said nothing about the use of spittle or applying it so that they couldn't use that as, look, he, uh, he was treating me, which is strictly forbidden. Okay? So that, that's uh, interesting to note. And we'll get into it more next week, but this man, and we know not his name, we don't know who, what his name is, but he is an extremely courageous man and if you will before next week go ahead and read chapter 9 if you haven't already but what he does with the Pharisees he makes them look like fools he, he literally makes them look like fools so uh, we'll pick up here at chapter uh, 6 or verse 16 next week